All right. Happy Tuesday, everyone, and welcome back to another Learning Tech Talks, where we are living at the intersection of business technology and the human experience. Really quick update uh, before we get into the conversation. For those of you who haven't been following some of the stuff, I've made some changes to my community and all this stuff. So the communities know more. If you're not following me on Substack, I would encourage you to do that. You can find my content on YouTube because my website I've changed up. So anyway, lots of changes. If you have specifics, the number of messages I've been getting from people going, hey, did you know this? This isn't working. I didn't see this. Um, so feel free to reach out and ask. But today I'm joined by Pete Cena, and he is the founder of Digital Surgeons. And we're going to have Based on our backstage conversation, we're going to have the conversation that we did not plan for, but that I actually think is extremely needed. So we're going to be talking about really just acknowledging the state of things in the world right now, where in many ways, it feels like easy things are extremely hard right now. And there's just an air of, I don't know if it's tension or challenge or whatever that is, but then focus on an inspirational note of how do we use our creativity to push us forward and how can we do that in a world that's changing a million miles an hour and AI seems to be reinventing everything by the hour um, and it can just feel like an impossible task. So Pete, first of all, thank you so much for joining me and for being comfortable and just coming on and having just this organic conversation with me about this. You are extremely qualified to have it with me, that's for sure. I appreciate that. It's good to be here. Um, it sort of feels right now like uh, diapers and dumpster fires is sort of the uh, the thing that I'm thinking a lot about this week. <laughs> maybe maybe that will be the title of this episode, just diapers and dumpster fires, because that's a pretty accurate state. I mean, I got seven kids and they're- Seven no kids? God bless you. How do you have time for that? <laughs> uh, that's a question I get a lot, and that's not for this podcast. So <laughs> anyway, but yeah, no, I'm looking forward to this. For those who are not familiar with you, I haven't had the wonderful chance I have to get to know you, a little bit of your background. Yeah, for sure. So um, my name's Pete Senna. I am a I'm a lot of things. Um, I'm a lot to handle, um, <laughs> as my wife would say. So I, I grew up on the East Coast um, in a state called Connecticut. Um, I'm actually dialing in from New Haven, Connecticut on my tech campus here. And my background's in design. Are you always Are you from Connecticut? Like, is that yeah. your origin? Yeah, oh, that's born and cool. raised. Okay, that's um, cool. I worked for a company in Wallingford for a pretty long period of time, which oh, I nice. think a lot of people even in Connecticut don't know. Somebody where I know? Uh, Source Medical was the company I was okay. there for quite a while. So nice, yeah. Have haven't heard of them, but there's a lot of sleepers in Connecticut that are doing big things. There um, are for sure. So just a little bit about me. So I'm a you know I was a child of the '80s. So you know, vid video games, toxic masculinity, <laughs> uh, crazy action movies, and um, tech and design. I um, started writing code when I was a, a kid. Um, I was a really introverted, nerdy kid, and I just was fascinated with um, software and you know code and computers, and which led on to the internet and <coughs> all that stuff. It was and a really funny time based on the time period. It's very similar to mine. It was a weird time to grow up, don't you think? It was like this weird age of digital emergence that was kind of coming out. Yeah, I, I actually think there's a ton of parallels to my childhood, and I had a great childhood. I'm really grateful for my family and the privilege that I had. Um, the there's a lot of parallels to when I was growing up to right now, 
where it's like every week something new is coming out. Now, obviously then it was like, you know, broadband internet and things like that. And it would like, it was like every year something new would come out. Nowadays, it's like every day something new comes out with all this AI crap. (laughs) But um, it's, yes, that's just a little bit about my background. And then from there, just fell in love with design, fell in love with creativity and just how, I believe that creativity can solve all problems. I you know, maybe it's a, a crazy belief of the world, but it's just it's it's proved me right in a lot of ways um, with that. So yeah, that's just a little bit about me. And then I I started my first company actually in my Yukon dorm room, University of Connecticut, um, and that was basically at a time when you could write some code, push some pixels, and make awesome stuff happen on the internet, and. Yeah. You know, and that, it was new. It was relatively new. If you were it doing it, new. it's not like everybody and their mother had a creative business where they were doing that. Yeah. Um, who would have thought that making crazy MySpace pages uh, could turn into working with some of the biggest brands in the world? Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, thank you very much, uh, web program. Tom, Tom. Well, yeah. you can thank Tom, the original. Do you remember? Do you remember MySpace? Tom? Absolutely. Everybody, everybody he was, was in my top eight. Tom. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that is so funny. You know, it's interesting because I've had multiple conversations. Not all of them have been released. So some of them have been pre-recorded. But your story, there's something similar that threads through that, which is this continued disruption of this misconception that people who thrive around technology are left-brained, very process-oriented, that kind of thinker. There's a stereotype that kind of goes along with tech. And the more I explore the landscape of this and talk to folks, creatives find really unique ways to do crazy stuff with technology. And it's, to me, just completely blowing apart the stereotype of people who will be successful around tech look or sound like this. And it's like, nope, just not yeah. even remotely true. Yeah, and just a fun fact. So like one of my, my back in the day, I used to hire a lot of engineers. Um, now we've got great people that take care of that. But when I was sort of in the weeds and doing all that, I would always look for what I would call the creativity test with engineers and tech people. And what that basically is just in short is I would look for their interests. And what I found is a strong correlation between the more eclectic, the interests of an engineer, um, the more talented they were as an engineer. And what, what I found is that the greatest engineers are actually generally pretty lazy. And what I mean by lazy is that they don't like to do trivial they don't like or, to waste yeah, yeah they, don't they don't like, like to waste, waste time right? so what they <laughs> what i found is like some of my favorite friends that are just like world-class engineers that at fang companies or transforming the blockchain or whatever whatever my cool engineering friends are doing now is like they all have this thing in common where some of them are like crazy at music and they're really musically inclined um i, I find there's a strong correlation to um, music and strong engineers. I find there's a strong correlation to creativity and strong engineers. So I find that like, if you only think of technology as this like linear thing, like input drives output, input drives output, I think it's a very linear way to look at the world. And, you know, one of my favorite quotes is a Ray Kurzweil quote, obviously that the super futurist, and he talks about, you know, if you think of things in linear order, you're only going to get linear results. If you think of things in exponential, um, kind of computation, you can get exponential results. And it sounds a little bit trite, but like what I'm finding is that just underscores what you said, which is like the more creative you are, the more the possibilities unveil themselves. And the more you can kind of bend 
light around the corner and capture lightning in a bottle in a way I think that not every person who follows the one, two, three, four, you know, status quo is able to do. No. And I think that's, um, you know, it's funny you bring up the music thing because Peter Schroeder is a gentleman who I talked to recently and he was a DJ. He got into music. He got into the music industry and then he, he decided to build a telecom company to disrupt things. But again, it was one of these things where he, we talked about the fact that, you know, in many ways, technology is merely a blank canvas. Oh yeah. And I think sometimes that's where it actually requires creativity to do interesting things with it because otherwise it's very boring. It's very not helpful if you don't actually have the creativity to, like you said, look around corners and go, well, what if, what if we could do this? Or if you're not fueled by the frustration of this really trivial thing bothers the heck out of me. Yeah. Why do I have to deal with this? I shouldn't have to deal with that. I just want to figure out how to not have to deal with that anymore. And technology can be a way to go, well, I can bend this and mold it in a way that like, ta-da, like we fixed it. And you go, great. Now I can go back to doing things that I actually enjoy doing versus this stuff that's been hampering my frustration. Yeah, it's funny. The, the one thing that I keep being reminded of, uh, especially when I talk about diapers and dumpster fires, which I'm sure we're going to come back to, is yeah. that like YouTube meme thing that's like, fuck around and find out, fuck around and find out. It's like my entire life as a creative technologist and as a builder or whatever label you want to put on me um, is all been about fuck around and find out. It's just like experimentation creates extraordinary out outcomes. Um, and it's that tinkering and that, you know, go like hacker or tinkerer or whatever <clears throat> that ultimately like unlocks that crazy potential. So um, sorry, yeah. I'm coughing in your ear. It's like, I feel like the, the lingering cough that just will not disappear. Um, thank you. <laughs> East coast cold and flu season. It's yeah, a lingering cough of the last three years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Dayquil. <laughs> like, let's go. Um, but so, so I want to talk about this cause I, I think it was both, therapeutic for the two of us to acknowledge this, but I think it's also some of the themes of this is that we talked about the fact that there is just this air right now of almost, I don't want to say, I don't know how to describe what it is, but almost just this frustration of simple things feel really hard. There's so much uncertainty with everything that's going on that it can feel like good grief. Am, is what I'm doing today even going to matter tomorrow type of a thing? I mean, what, what is your description of this? Because we both had this moment of, wait, you feel that way right now? Too? I feel that way too right now. And I'm seeing it all around. Yeah. Um, my mystical friends would probably say this is like some Mercury retrograde type thing. Um, <laughs> but <clears throat> I legit feel like sometimes just nothing works, right? Like, you know, I got up this morning and the GPS and my overpriced computer on wheels didn't work. And, you know, I was cursing Elon's name in vain. Um, and it's, and then it's like my YouTube got suspended for no random reason. So it's like, I just feel like there's some days where like nothing goes your way. Um, and I think at the end of the day, like, you know, we, you and I were nerding out about this a little bit, but I think what it really comes down to is just this concept of resilience, which is such a buzzword, but it like is. really like, let's strip away the buzzword and like get to it. Like, what does it really mean? It's like, you're going to get knocked on your ass no matter what you do, whether yeah. it's, you know, your personal life. It's an inevitability. Life. Yeah. It's it, like you are going to get knocked on your ass by something that you 
whether you expect it or you don't expect it, it's coming for you. Um, and what matters most is like what you do next, right? So, you know, you can wallow in it, you can cry about it, you can get upset about it, but ultimately like, what are you going to do about it? Right. And that's what you and I were, were talking a lot about is like this idea of like, it's okay to admit to the world that like, you don't want to get up and go run your company today. Like, it doesn't mean that you want to like, you know, <laughs> hang up your, your gloves and give up on entrepreneurship. It's like, it means that you're having a tough day. And like, I think we as entrepreneurs, yeah. especially as men, right. I think as men, there's this like weird thing. And it, I was reading some, and we're stuff. never supposed to acknowledge that. Like yeah. we're not supposed to acknowledge that. I just don't want to get out of bed today. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it's I like, I just don't want to get out of bed. And it doesn't mean I want to quit and I want yeah. to throw in the towel on life. It just means I don't want to get out of bed today. Cause it just feels like garbage. Yeah, for sure. And I think that like, it's nobody wants to watch a movie where the person loses every time. Right. But people do want to watch the movie where they see the underdog or the guy that's the loser becomes the winner, right? And it's like, there's this idea of like twist of fate, right? So I think for me, like you and I were talking about this a lot is like the world's in a really tough place right now, you know? It is. And I think that, you know, again, not to make light of of really challenging situations, but I'm trying to bring some levity to our conversation, right? Um, There's just so many atrocities happening in the world and we're not going to cover those today because I know we're not going to go there, but... I think what I would say is this hyper-connected, hyper-dopamine loop, this infinite, you know, like infinity pools that we live in, whether it's through news cycles or Instagram or whatever it is, I would argue this TikTokification of the world has actually made us more depressed, has made us yeah. more scared. Well, the has- data, the data shows that it has. Of course, it has overstimulated us to a point where we've flooded our brains with so much dopamine and we've become so dependent on this. And we become, as you said, hyper connected to a point where there's so much outside of our control that is constantly hitting us. Yeah. That it does lead to you feeling like, what am I even doing anymore? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's tough too, because I, what I would say, like, especially with the hype cycle that's happening right now, it's like, you know, if we take a step back for a moment and we look at like second order consequences, right? So COVID happened, you know, some companies got eradicated and put out of business. Some companies had their best years ever, you know, and now with this like hyper compression of innovation that happened where people just had to like grow seven years in three months, right? That was a lot for people. And I think that the shifting behaviors, the loneliness that it brought about, all these other things that I can go on and on about, that was a hyper compression. And yeah. I don't think people have st- still fully recovered from it. You know, there's a lot of data that's coming out now talking about, you know, the percentage of people that, you know, have like brain effects as a result mm-hmm. of um, COVID or other related things. And again, this is not me trying to get on a propaganda machine, but rather to say no. like, all that happened. And now we're in this world where this AI thing happened, right? And yeah, we got hit back to back. Yeah, we got hit back to back. And I think the AI thing is crazy because, you know, as for myself, just being vulnerable for you and the audience is like, I spent the past two months building new innovations to get ahead of the curve. And I like to think me and my teams and my companies were ahead of the curve. And then Sid Maltman gets on stage and goes like, ta-da, and half the shit I just spent thousands of dollars and energy and effort doing got wiped out in one, in one dev day. Event, yeah. Right. That's like, on, yeah. on YouTube. and I'm not laughing at your situation. 
I'm laughing at the disheartening nature of that's in many ways what I think a lot of people are wrestling with, myself included sometimes, where you just go, everything I've poured into for this in in a matter of minutes, or like you said, one product announcement, you're like, that's it? Like, that's it? It's, It's gone obsolescence already? How does that happen in the blink of an eye? And that can... That it, can it, it the can wind take out a of toll anybody. on your mental health. I mean, like, oh, I have, it, t- it knocks I, the wind clean out of you. I have friends of mine that have spent 20, 30 years building different types of businesses that are realistically on the verge of extinction. You know, travel agents, um, you know, financial planners, you know, many of these types of roles that, you know, are really needed are completely being displaced now. And again, don't get me, you know, into the whole kind of like AI is going to take everyone's job, but like in all seriousness, what I would say is it's transition and change is hard, no matter what that transition and change is, whether it's, you know, your life is changing now because you've become a parent or because, um, other hardships have faced you or whatever. I think there's this interesting thing that's happening right now with a lot of my entrepreneur friends where all of us now are really excited about boring businesses. And I think the reason we're excited about boring businesses is we're like, oh, cool, like an ATM machine, like people still use those things. Like I'm, I'm not personally one of the people that's jumping at that, but it's like I have friends of mine who have made a ton of money buying ATM machines and installing them in dry cleaners and, you know, and little bodega. Yeah. And it's like to think that we're thinking about installing ATM machines that dispense paper money in a world that's going towards the blockchain and fintech and right where you're going to be in a bank and have your own it's yeah but yeah but it's interesting because it's those boring businesses right now that cash flow quickly that have margin that you know when sam altman decides to drop his latest you know magic or uh new innovation it doesn't like wipe you out in a second you know what i mean right so and not to go in, into the like off. Well, no, but it's interesting but. watching. It's interesting watching because I don't know. The book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, he's like, we, we think things are new, but they're really not like nothing's really new under the sun. Yeah. And it is one of these things where it's cyclical in nature and watching things. It's interesting hearing you say that about entrepreneurs who are getting excited about old things. Yeah. And in many ways, I see some of that same thing happening on a societal level where people are re-engaging back with things that were really compelling that we thought were outdated 10 years ago, but but they are cool now because it's like, well, wow, this is there's something classic and wonderful and beautiful about this. And people are gravitating towards these things that maybe a few years ago would have been why, why wouldn't you, you know, why on earth would you ever be involved in that type of a thing? And it's, it's really fascinating. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, the, the bigger, the problem that you solve, the more you get rewarded for it. <laughs> so that like, that's the, that's the thing that like, I think a lot about, and it's like, if you can bring a solution to someone that is not technical, yeah. It might be the like like five year, ten year old technology that someone like you and I is like, that's like super old school. But like if all of a sudden someone feels like how it transforms their world, they're all in. 
right? Yeah. And if everybody's chasing the new shiny AI widget right now, and you're going in and just figuring out a simple way for someone to, you know, digitize their receipts, right? <laughs> We've had yeah. OCR technology for north of a decade, right? <laughs> but like, yeah, go to like a, a local small business that's like doing okay or doing well, and they've got like a receipt book or whatever. And like that one little change that you and I could- Could radically transform, right, that we could do in a heartbeat could yeah. radically transform their entire business. Yeah, it's like, I mean, you and I could rig that up and zap your Airtable in like 15 seconds, right? Um, without a line of code. But then that could save them, you know, 30 hours a week, in which case yep. they'll pay almost whatever they can afford to, to yeah. solve that problem. So it's it's interesting. It's it's what, what I would say though, just going back to the thing about, you know, diapers, diapers and dumpster fires is like, you know, shit happens. <laughs> and I think we just have to figure out how we're going to recover from it and just keep going. I think resilience and tenacity is something that's going to set the, apart the people who prevail versus the people who perish. And that's just going to be my, my thing. What I'm leaning into a lot more now with my friends and my relationships is realizing like, what can I learn from those who continue to recover and keep going forward? And like, yeah. what are their lessons? Like, I think you just quoted a Bible reference, I think just a few yep. moments ago. And it's actually an interesting inspiration because while I wouldn't consider myself super religious, there's probably a gazillion maxims and lessons that you can learn if you just ask ChatGPT about the Bible, right? Yep. You know, it's like, what can I learn about the most popular Bible Psalms that can help me lead better in 2023? Like, I'd be willing to bet with the right structured prompt, ChatGPT is going to give you some pretty cool, useful stuff there that, you know, who knows, make the next faceless YouTube channel. Well, and what's, money. <laughs> <laughs> well, and what's funny about it is I was in a conversation recently where somebody asked me, you know, what is kind of the number one book you're using to try and navigate the current space? And I said, it's actually, it's a, it's a 4,000 year old text because of some of the things that are in there that it's like, well, there's some timeless wisdom that you can pull through from this that goes, yeah, yeah, what we're dealing with on the AI age in some ways is different and new, but in many ways, it's like you said in the very beginning, we grew up in the 80s and the 90s when the internet was a brand new thing and the whole world changed. I mean, I still remember the days where people were wondering like, is the internet really a thing? Is this really ever going to go no anywhere? Gonna buy What's a website? Yeah. No business is ever going to make a website. Yeah. That is ridiculous. Yep. The days of brick and mortar. And, and granted, there was more of a timeline associated with it. I think that's some of the fatigue people are feeling is the fact that it's like, good grief, if you didn't do it by next week, you're already behind. But we've been through this before. I've yeah. seen the patterns of this whole thing, even in my short lifetime, play out in cycles already. And in some ways, while that can feel exhausting, in many ways, I find that inspiring because it does help you go, we've been, we've been through this before. Yeah. We've gone I mean, through this. For sure. And we will adapt and we will charter forward, even though right now it may feel like I don't see how that's going to happen. And it's like, you know what? That's okay. So just yeah. keep putting one foot in front of the other and keep stepping forward. Cause that's the only way through is to just keep walking. Otherwise yeah. you're just going to sit in the sludge. No, I love that. And, and you know, one of the things I got me thinking about is I really want to meet the head of business development for whoever got 
a Bible in every hotel in the world. Because <laughs> I feel like no matter where I've ever been, I've been to a lot of different um, countries and there's always a Bible <laughs> in the in the end table next to the bed. And it's like, it's just super interesting. No matter what chain I'm in, there's always a Bible there. And I just find that that, you know, I want to meet that salesperson back in the day to figure <laughs> that out because that's probably one hell of a way to scale, right? Is like, if you can get your teachings thousands of years later, just in every damn hotel from, you know, yeah. from, the, from the W to the, the Ritz Carlton, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So on, on this lines, because we've talked a little bit about the current state and I think, you know, the other thing that I think can be healing or just helpful in these times is even acknowledging this. I think sometimes there is this pressure to seem like I've got it all figured out. I've got all the, I, I, I don't feel this way. I'm keep pushing forward. And I think social media has exacerbated that because it's the highlight reel of everyone's life. So you look at, you'll get depressed looking at anybody's social media because you look at it and go, wow, they've solved every problem in the world and their life is wonderful 24 seven and mine isn't. But I think at the same time, it's, you know, how acknowledging that can be extremely helpful. And I think, you know, we both from this conversation have acknowledged the fact, yeah, it's, it's a tough time. Things are changing. What are some of the things that you personally are seeing? You, know, you shared some of the stuff with the entrepreneur things. You've, you've shared your story of like how something you'd worked so hard at evaporated overnight. You know, any other things that when you think about the diapers and dumpster fires that, you see people just wrestling with right now, contributing to kind of some of that. And then I want to transition to what we can do about it and how creativity can actually be a powerful path through it. Yeah. Well, I think what's interesting is like, if you look at, you know, take like someone like a, a Logan Paul or a Dan Blazarian, you know, these like these, these people that are like private jets and like parties and all the crazy cool stuff as viral and successful and as much that they, they've been able to kind of like move the needle for their personal brands, you know, it's the sort of Kardashians that have really figured out that authenticity behind like, let's show you the good and bad parts of our life. And people just feed on that information. Right. So like, what I think is interesting is like looking at the creators today that are performing the best, whether it's like the young creator that just started a YouTube channel or, you know, the, the like, creators that we see on LinkedIn or whatever, whatever network you want to pick, there is, I think, a sense where people, <coughs> excuse me, people want to see the real now. I think people don't want to yeah. just see the, you know, the private jet moments. I think people want to see the struggle. They want to see that someone is human and that they're not this sort of infallible kind of like perfect demigod, which I don't think anybody yeah. is. Right. So I think that, that, that got me thinking when you said that just a minute ago, it was like, all right, what is it that can be most useful for people? And I think that there's this like sensationalism that I think people have really bought into for a bit. And yeah. I think what's interesting now is I'm particularly inspired now by the power of personal brand. It's one of the reasons why you know I'm joining you today and starting to do more of these things is I was a shy introverted kid coming up and I worked with some incredible companies and was always the quiet person that never got the spotlight. What I'm realizing today in the attention economy and the distraction economy, time and attention are the currency that drives brands forward today. And I think that the more that you can build a distinct point of view that people subscribe to, the more that you can build 
you know, in some cases, a multi-million dollar successful business. You know, I mean, I, I mentioned like Logan Paul as an example, which I don't want to give him any more shine than he already gets, but like look <laughs> at Gatorade, right? Look at just the cool, powerful, transformative story of Gatorade, right? And then look at prime energy and just how quickly in such a short period of time, back to hyper compression, that brand almost has the same valuation as Gatorade, which has spent billions of dollars building that brand over what, 20, 30 plus years, yeah. I guess. So, oh yeah. And the money that's gone into it to get it into sports and in front of every single person and all these other things. And, yeah. you know, uh, like you said, prime energy's just whoosh, yeah. done that overnight and by comparison. And it's literally garbage in a bottle, right? Like if, yeah. and I'm, and I'm not trying to, to, to <laughs> like, I'm being serious. Like if you look into the science on this stuff, it's literally garbage in a bottle. It's not like athletic greens or something that like is actually scientifically proven to make you better. It's just, you know, I think they, they recently had some stuff come out in the news about them and, and whatnot, but it's like, yeah, I know it's, it, it goes to show that like, if you can capture attention and if you have the share of mind, you can capture the share of wallet. And, you know, oftentimes the wisdom of the crowd is not wisdom, but it's just, no. you know, it's well, and I was going to say, you know, as you're talking about this, I think, you know, for folks who listen to this and even just as you as I'm reflecting on what you're saying, you know, there is this, what AI has done has accelerated things. And I was on a live stream a while back where I said, how fast is too fast? Yeah. Like at what point do we reach a speed where it's like, this isn't healthy or productive, but what I've observed from this is this creates this pressure to just, you've got to nail it. You've got to have your viral moment. You got to go big fast. And what I've seen is when you actually watch things that do that, they're often not sustainable. They may get that giant influx of boom, and then they fall off a cliff. And it's that, it's that consistent putting one foot in front of the other, being authentic and being real, and just continuing to march forward. No, you're not going to blow up and become a global superstar overnight but you're also not going to crash through the crust of the earth because somebody caught a post that you made once that was completely, you know, and it just completely destroys everything you've built because you've been that consistent thing. And I think in some ways that can give people hope and inspiration in a time where it feels like if I'm not just running at full sprint 24 seven, hoping to catch that one needle thread, I'm doomed. And it's like, well, no, but that's what this energy kind of has you feeling like. At least that's my observation and how sometimes even I feel that pressure to go, do I just need to be like running faster, harder all the time? And it's like, yeah, I, I can't do it. I mean, I think it, it's interesting, right? Like if you look at the law of the universe and you just like dig into first principles, which is what I try to do a lot, which is like everything compounds, right? Yeah. And it's like the, I'll give you a good example. I work with a lot of CEOs and business leaders and some of the highest performing CEOs that I've worked with in, um, you know, some cases, fortune 500 companies, right. Or, or just like high growth venture backed startups, <coughs> almost all of them have this, well, many of them have are ultra marathon runners or triathletes or tough mutters or, their ability to withstand 
consistent pain, whether it's yeah. physical, emotional, intellectual pain, financial pain, and keep going is something that I think is a, is a special trait that I never really thought about, right? It's like a, a lot of times that it's the ability to keep going that sets people apart from like, like I don't, I'm sure you've heard the story like six feet from gold where it's like, you know, during the gold rush, you had a bunch of people that were all chasing it. And, you know, there's a lot of like parables and maxims and stuff about this, but like the people that like gave up <clears throat> and were like, yeah, I'm just going to move on to something else. It was the person that stuck with it that ultimately you know, hit the gold. And right. They eventually realized, landed it. They eventually they, hit it and everybody else had filtered out. But, but then people got really mad because they're like, oh my God, I was only six feet from gold. Right. And there's a, you know, there's a classic, like, I think it's Napoleon Hill wrote a book about this years ago. Don't we'd have to fact check that. But the bigger point here is I think people give up a lot of times before they hit their big break. Yeah. And what I'm finding is like all the sprinters I've ever known, like take track and field as an example, right? All the sprinters I've ever known ended up with an injury at some point, right? Yep. All the marathon runners I know ended up with an injury at some point. But I think the the difference between the the marathon runner who can run sprints and the sprinter who can't run a marathon is that those who can keep going are the ones that prevail. And that's just what I've seen is that like you could it's like that supernova moment, right? Where someone just completely burns out and then they never come back. Yeah. I see that a lot, like where I'll be in like a CEO mastermind group or something, and and you'll see somebody break down and you'll never see that person again. Yeah, they complain. And, and that's where I was saying, like, you can keep striving for this, like, skyrocket moment, and you're just pushing yourself, pushing yourself, pushing yourself. But then I, the number of people in my circle and sphere of influence where I've seen the gas runs out, and they come crashing down and crash through the mantle of the earth, and they never come back out because yeah. they, they hit so hard. And they weren't prepared for it. And I think that's one of the other things that I've seen with the tech boom or the AI boom is that overnight success usually doesn't end up going well because you're not prepared for what comes with it. And it can be very, you can learn some really hard lessons along the way. And sure, there's countless examples of people who have somehow made it, but the ones I know who have learned and adjusted and they didn't keep doing what they were doing before. They didn't just keep like running yeah. for the well, flag. I, they readjusted. What I would say just to push back on that a little bit is no overnight success did it overnight. And there's no, a lot didn't. of people to your point that like went viral or had some special moment happen or had their like 15 minutes of fame or whatever, right? Or 15 seconds of fame as we live in this economy. But yeah. I think what's interesting is that it's the people who have been like really obsessed with a problem for a long period of time that are the ones that are, you know, uber successful. Like everyone wants to talk about AI and you can't talk about AI without chat GPT and open AI, but Sam Altman has been a disciplined startup builder. Oh. I mean, you can go back to his essays from yeah. years ago where his mental fortitude and the way he was thinking about the world, his theories on that. I mean, open AI started as a research lab, right? Like, right. you know, most people don't realize like, They've been people this think for... this whole thing spun up at the yeah. end of 2022 and it yeah. didn't. 100%. And there's billions of dollars and blood, sweat, and tears yeah. that have gone into it, even though now we're reaping the benefits and it's easy to look at it and go, wow, yeah. that thing just came out of nowhere, but it didn't. 
Yeah. And I, and I think it's also like hyper compression, right? So like we can talk about Moore's law and how we all know about things like Moore's law. And some would say that, that we beat that a while ago, but like whether it's, you know, the chips in our pockets that can, you know, be faster, better, cheaper, whether it's, you know, time and the compression of time. Like I think what's happening right now is what's possible. <clears throat> the more knowledge we obtain as a civilization. Yeah we can do in a faster cycle, right? So everything gets faster, better, stronger, cheaper, faster, better, stronger, cheaper over time. And ultimately the thing I think we have to start to look at now is like, what's the thing that can't be replaced? So what I said is like, back to your point about smashing through the mantle of the earth, it's like creativity is a renewable resource and invest in creativity and invest in long-term building, right? It's like the the people that you look at in the gym or the people that you look at on, you know, on the runner's circuit or whatever it is, or thought leadership circuit, they're not here today, gone tomorrow, right? They've been here for a really long time before they broke through. And I think that like, that's the thing that inspires me. So back to the point about like diapers and dumpster fires is like, shit's going to happen. Shit's going to blow up. You have to know for that. You have to plan for that. And then you have to figure out what you're going to do about it. And that's, why instead of not getting up this morning going to work and you know i didn't i didn't feel like getting up this morning i was like oh you know like i got a bunch of stuff on my to-do list today that i've scheduled you know i I kept pushing it back pushing it back pushing it back and now it's on the calendar and it's like i just have to get this (laughs) stuff done i don't want to do it so that's why i snuck in this time with you today because i'm like all right everything before talking to you and everything after talking to you today i don't want to do it (laughs) truthfully but well, I'm glad I'm able to be that surge of reprieve in between. No, you're 100% the surge of reprieve, but it's like, but it's got to get done, right? And yeah. I think that what I'm finding right now is the people who put off today until tomorrow are the ones that never get to tomorrow in the way that they no, want. No, because then tomorrow comes and there's something that pushes it to the next day. And then I think the thing that I would um, add to that is... I do think there's room to sometimes say today I'm not going to get out of bed. And I think that's where it is okay. You know, there are days where, you know, it's like, I I don't want to do today, but I think what is different in, you know, in kind of articulating what you said is it's about being intentionally conscious about that. And also knowing that that's just today. I need that today, but that's not a perpetual. I'm just, I'm waiting until it gets better. Cause it's like, well, it's never going to get better. Yeah. You're going to need to lean in to make it better, but also being willing to accept that, you know, there are times that you need to step back and go, I need to take a breath. I need to strategically reset. I had to do that even for myself, for, you know, for folks who've been following me for a while, I had a couple of people be like, wait, what happened to your website? And I'm like, I killed it. Cause learning sharks is dead. I'm not, I baby shark is at the bottom of the deep now. Like I took them out. It's because it wasn't right. It wasn't the right direction. And so I needed to take a strategic pause. And sometimes you need to do that, but it has to be with the end in mind. And I think that's one of the things of like, where, where is that next step that you're planning on taking? Yeah, I I love that. And I agree. We don't (laughs) have to agree. You can disagree. No, no, no. I, I, I agree with that. But since we're being really raw here, let me, let me share something with you in the audience that like really pisses me off, which is 
I feel like a lot of people make excuses and then blame it on other people. So like, yes. like for example, I had a conversation with a young entrepreneur recently who kept trying to get on my calendar and I instructed my assistant to not prioritize it because it wasn't a good use of my time. And the reason why is I had already given him some time generously. I didn't charge him for any of it. Um, and I asked him a couple questions about what he wanted to achieve and we went through it and we aligned on what he needed to do to get that success. <clears throat> and then he didn't do the things that we both agreed that he agreed, you know, his words, not mine, that he needed to do. And then he wanted to get more time with me. And, you know, again, it was just trying to be helpful. Always trying to help young entrepreneurs because I didn't get a lot of help when I was a young entrepreneur. So I try to give back wherever I can. And I just sent a very simple email. I was like, did you do the stuff we talked about? Yeah. And, you know, he wrote back this like long window response. Thankfully for my AI, it summarized it. And the answer was no. <laughs> and um, a I'm long not, answer to say, no, I didn't do any of the things. Yeah, that I'm dead serious. Mutually like, agreed to as yeah. important next steps. So then I said, do me a favor, send me a screenshot of your calendar. And he sent me a screenshot of his calendar. And I, you know, on my phone, like scribbled over a couple of things. And I was like, what's all this, you know? And what I think happens a lot is a lot of people get drunk on self-help books. And if you look at the yes. stats, like the number one section in a bookstore that has the most traffic, that has the most sales is the self-help section. And it's because what happens is we want to read about the fad diet. We want to read about the next greatest thing, the next big breakthrough that's going to close all the deals and solve all the problems. We read that, we consume that, we're all inspired by it, right? We're all pumped up by it. We get high off that supply. And then what happens? Do we put any of that knowledge to work or do we yeah. just go on to the next book? And I think that what, what <clears throat> bothers me is when people make a public declaration to themselves and the universe on where they're going. And then they cry and they complain and they blame others when they don't get there. And the reality yeah. is the only person that they have to blame is themselves. And I think it's, it's hard to say that because there's been a lot of times where to your point about like stepping off the, you know, whether it's hamster wheel or treadmill or, you know, hard mountain, whatever metaphor you want to use. I find that a lot of times when people take that break, one day or one week or one month isn't enough to get back on and keep going. And I think that the challenge is, is like, yeah, I'm all about self self care, right? I meditate every day. I really prioritize sleep now because I was stupid in my twenties and thirties and never used to prioritize it. And that is the most stupidest thinking you can ever have, which is like, let me sleep less and I'm going to be a better leader. Yeah. Like <laughs> I was that asshole for about 20 years. And yeah, I get up at four in the morning and, <laughs> and then I, <laughs> I go to bed at two. Yeah. yeah it's not, I work it's not 22 healthy. hour days and the other two days I spend learning more to work. It's like, no, you're an idiot. <laughs> like, do you not know how the bio machine that is a human works? But, yeah. um, but I was that asshole for 20 years thinking that I could just, you know, have another cup of coffee or Red Bull and, and keep going. But so it's, it's comical now to look back at my stupidity and I'm making fun of myself, not anybody else. Yeah. But I, but I get back and what, what's my point here? My point is that if you want something to happen, you got to do the work to make it happen. And look, it's totally okay if you don't want something to happen, right? Some of my happiest friends that I have live in a cabin in the woods and, you know, work 10 hours a week and they have exactly what they need and want to be happy. Um, and they spend their time exactly how they want to spend their time. Right. Yeah. 
I have a different goal in life, right? Like I have a, a mission that I'm trying to solve with creativity and curiosity, not for myself, but for other people. I can't do that from, you know, sitting on a yoga pillow with no internet connection. Yeah. Out in the stick. I can't do well, that and, in the woods and just, and just meditating for, for 20 hours a day. Um, well, and so finish that's my fact, you know? <laughs> no. Well, and what's interesting is I, I haven't published it. It's still on my desk, but I have, um, it's interesting you bring this up because literally my post that I wrote while I was doing the elliptical this morning about this is about like quit blaming your tech stack, your lack of resources, your account. Like those are not the reason you're not achieving what you want to achieve. Quit pointing the finger at these things and look in the mirror and go, what could I be doing differently? And I think the big difference is, and this is what I wrote my book about is it's about that intentionality totally. of again, being consciously choosing. If you're going to say, I need to step off the whatever for a day, it's a conscious choice of I'm doing that for this purpose, for this length, so that it puts me in a better position to do this thing that is what charts me forward. And I think that is really kind of the bridge between what we're both saying, which is you can get trapped in that cycle of, like you said, the self-help cycle. I just need to take a day for myself. And that day turns into a week and it turns into a month and it turns into three months. And it's, and pretty soon it's like, okay, but at some point you've got to get back up and say, what am I going to do about this? And where is this going? Knowing that, you know what, you might step on a lily pad that takes you to the bottom of the lake. You will, it's not, you might, it will at some point happen. The floor is going to fall out from under you. Okay. That sucks. Yeah. And then what? Yeah. And then what is great. And what I would say is you are not good enough. That's something that I think we have to admit to ourselves is like, there's so many Instagram posts out there. Like you're good enough. You're good enough. You're good enough. And listen, I'm all about positive affirmations and positive self-talk and that sort of thing. But here's the thing. If you're trying to be a specific coder and solve some engineering problem, maybe you're not good enough. Maybe you have to look at the problem differently. Maybe you have to change. Maybe that's not important to you, right? Maybe you're not going to put the reps in. If you can't afford to hire hire someone to do that, <clears throat> to solve that problem for you or with you, right? If you can't afford to build the team that you need to take your vision to the next level, then it's on you. And you either got to adjust the goalpost or you got to adjust the effort, right? Yeah. But the reality is I think what the hardest pill to swallow is for most people is you are not good enough. And it's like, that that's the thing is like, yeah, I wanted to bench 400 pounds by the time I was 40 years old. Right. And I almost got to it. Right. <laughs> like I got to like 365. Right. And I felt super awesome. It was a, and I'm, I'm making fun of myself a little bit. No, but I, I get it's it. a personal fitness goal. Right. But if you asked me about, was I weighing all my food? Was I, was I checking my macros every single day? Was I doing this? And I'm purposely making a non-business reference. Right. I wasn't. So I wasn't good enough to do that because the goal that I set for myself, I didn't do what needed to happen to do that. And I did that a yeah. lot in my businesses, right? Which is where it's like, okay, I've got this service business or this product business or whatever. And it's like, I wasn't a good enough leader to be able to set a clear enough vision for my team. Don't blame, like I used to be like, oh, I can't get the right person on my team or, you know, I can't get attract enough talent. It's like, well, pay better, buy better make better hiring decisions, be a better leader, be, be a better leader, leader. <laughs> be a better leader, be more clear in your thinking. 
but I would get so frustrated. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm referring to myself in my, in my twenties and thirties and I get so frustrated because why isn't this thing happening? And wham, wham, wham. And it's like, you're just not good enough. Like, so work harder and elevate this skill, whether it's your leadership or your hard skills, or your soft skills. And I think that that's a message that we don't say enough because no, we're all trying to like, like, we're trying to just digest rainbows and sunshine every single day. And yeah. I think that's and tell problem. everybody that if you just keep doing what you're doing, eventually everything will be wonderful and you'll achieve all your wildest dreams. And it's and not it's reality. Not. Yeah. And it's not, it's like, so this idea that like you are enough, like I love the idea and I love the spiritual significance of it. But it'll leave that, you, it'll leave you hungry at the end. It'll leave, it will you, leave you hungry. hungry at the end. hundred percent. And I think, yeah. And, and it goes back to, and I think this is where on the polar extreme, you can swing the other way and that's not healthy because again, it's about the conscious choices and the intentionality. So like for you, the goal of, and I had, I actually, it's so funny. We're having this conversation. I had similar, like these fitness goals where I'm like, I want to do this and I want to get to this point. And then I realized I actually don't think I care as much about it as I as I think in my head, because if I did, I would actually be more committed to doing these other things. Cause I know cognitively, if I really want to deadlift this, then I need to do this and I need to do this and I need to do that. You know what? I guess I don't really care that much about it. And that doesn't mean, oh, well then I guess I got to throw away lifting weights. No, yeah. it just means that goal changed because the intentionality, when I actually asked myself, why do you actually want to deadlift that much weight? I'm like, well, I, I don't know. I set some arbitrary number in my head that I thought would somehow make me happy. And then the more I thought about it, the more I went, you know what? You would get to that number anyway. Okay. And then the, it would, it'd be the next number and you'd go, well, now I'm not quite there type of a thing. In and my so, case, it was my fucking ego, right? It was like, why do I want to do this thing? Because society or somebody I follow on Instagram or social media was, was able to do this. And I felt that I should be able to do this. And it's like, you know, it's, it's hilarious. The other day I was talking to somebody and it's like, I, I don't have a dad bog, a dad bod. I have a father figure. And it was like, I was like laughing at myself. Right. And it's like, well, yes, I would love to have six pack abs. Right. Why? Because who doesn't, you know, who doesn't want to show off six pack abs? Like it's the coolest thing that Hollywood right. has made us care about. But right. Like the, it, day, the whole world has <laughs> told us as a guy, your whole life, that that is like the apex of health is like, yeah. Look what happens when I lift up my shirt. Yeah. And then, and then when the cheese plate comes out at the party and I'm the, the Gavone that just devours the cheese plate, it's like, Pete, maybe if you want that thing to happen, you shouldn't devour that cheese plate every time it shows up, or you shouldn't do all these particular things that are in direct opposition of what you want to seek. And I make yeah. these examples because I think they're all relatable for people, but yeah, I see it with business too. Right. <clears throat> Which is like, I'll give you a perfect example. I, I, I do a lot of angel investing and I have companies come to me all the time. Um, we do pitch competitions, the whole thing. And the amount of times in the past six months, people have pitched me an AI concept, <clears throat> which is basically just, you know, empty ideas that are not solving real problems that are basically just API calls to chat GPT, right? It's like that little um, Scooby-Doo meme where you like lifts off the hats like, I'm an AI startup that's democratizing, blah, blah. blah. And it's like, no, you're a single API call to chat. But, <laughs> but what's funny is like, I'm not making fun of these people, but like what no. I am saying is like, when you dig into it and you ask a question, it's like, well, what real problem are you solving? 
I get it. You're trying to say something shiny and novel and the next cool technology will be there. But like, what's the real human problem that you solve? Yep. And when you can actually do that, it doesn't matter if it's built with chewing gum and silly string right. or if it's built with the most technological breakthrough on the planet. What matters is do you solve a person's problem? Do they think it's valuable and will they pay for it? Yeah. And if you can get that, yes, and you can spin that flywheel a lot of times, now you have what all the startup darlings call product market fit. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if that's the ATM machine in the bodega that only accepts cash down the block from your house, or if that's the, you know, the guy who spends 20 hours a week scanning receipts in at the dry cleaners, right? Very right. boring problems, but these are things that people would pay for. And I think that a lot of times people kind of give up because they're like, oh, well, there's all these other technologies that already do that. And it's like, yes, but are your end buyers aware that that tool exists in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. And, and is it actually solving their problem? Like yeah. be the person who knows. And this goes back to what I was saying. I mean, the title of my book is Relentless Intention. And it's about this, the number of times, especially I, I dealt with this and still deal with this in corporate learning all the time where we've got a problem. Let's train our way out of it. If we just educate people enough, then the problem will go away. And digging back to this, but why is that a problem in the first place? Yeah. Like really understanding, like, why is that a problem? And what do you think solving it is going to change? And even when I've coached or mentored people over the years, you know, where it's like, I want to get to this job level, or I want to get this job or make this much money. It's like, why? Like, what do you really think that that is going to bring to you? Because if that is built on shifting sand, you will find yourself perpetually standing and then the floor falls out from under you. And then you leap over to this side and then the floor washes out from it because yeah. you don't really know what you're doing in the first place. And I yeah. think that's one of those things where you're setting yourself up for failure if you haven't taken the time to really deeply understand like, what am I, what am I even really doing with this? Yeah. One of the, one of the hardest lessons that I came across in my career, and I've built a lot of businesses, I've gone on to, you know, build, invest and support a lot of awesome companies. And I'm super proud of that. But I think all of us have a chip on our shoulder from when we were a kid. And I think if you figure out what that chip on your shoulder is, like when I was a kid, I don't even remember who said it to me. I, it was a teacher. So I had ADHD growing up. I didn't okay. know I had it, right? Because I tested for it when I was 17. So like it would have been great to figure that out when I was seven, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but no sooner. But, you know, all that meant for me, again, nowadays we have we have words for that, right? But like what would have been helpful for me to understand <clears throat> is that I'm a, I'm a visual kinesthetic learner and that auditory and linear-based learning modalities don't work for me right? It would have been great if I knew that at eight years old. I would have loved school. I would have loved math. I would have crushed that shit, right? Now I'm like taking math classes at like 40 because I'm like realizing that math is the law of the universe, right? Like I watched that Oppenheimer movie and I'm like, oh, I wish I had that like badass theoretical physics brain, right? But like <laughs> not to get on a tangent, but I say that because what's super interesting is someone told me that I was stupid mm -hmm. as a kid. Someone made me feel stupid. So then I spent all this time trying to always have the answers. And I spent all these time trying to prove people wrong and prove people, I'm smart. Look at me, look at me, look at me. That ego, that, that craving for validation. When the reality is, 
the businesses that I worked at that I was the most successful, they all had two things in common. One is I relentlessly stayed with the problem and I kept working on it and I didn't yep. just jump to the next shiny object. That was one thing. The other thing it had in common <coughs> was I didn't try to solve the problem in the first go, right? Yeah. I used to think, oh, I have to have all the answers. What I've realized now is the smartest people, the most successful people are the ones that have the questions, not the answers. Because the more you can spend time with the problem, figuring out what it is that you're really truly solving, the more you can move past like the novel shiny stuff that's at the top of the surface and get really to the bottom of the iceberg. Like what's the thing that's at the root cause of it? You know, in my world, we call it five whys analysis or root cause yeah. decision trees. And there's all kinds of fancy buzzwords. We, we always have to systematize everything. We, we can't ever just go, just get to the bottom of the root. What's going on? It's like, no, we got to have a fishbone diagram to get there. A hundred percent. We do because when we have a model of something, people feel like we're smarter, right? Because we can explain right. something and with jargon and that sort of thing. But but I, I really think that that's the root of all of it here is like, what problem are you solving? And I think that when we look at our careers or we look at our companies or we look at our teams that we're managing and leading, it's like, what's the real problem that we're solving? And yeah. can we strip past the sort of veneer of sexy and shiny and really get to the root of it? And And I'll be really honest, like, when I've done that successfully, probably 10% of the time or 20% of the time, if you want to do Pareto, 80-20, like when I've done that successfully, right? Back to models, just be, making fun of myself. Yeah, again, yeah we like, have to. You have to, right? Then I've cracked it. Yep. But when I've had the answer right away where someone's like, oh, like how do we solve this problem? And you just answer it versus like going deeper. Surface level analysis leads to surface level success. Yeah. Deep level analysis leads to deep level success. So the question you have to ask yourself is like, do I want to solve the surface level problem or do I want to solve the deeper problem? And I think the people who pursue the deeper problems, they realize that you're not going to get that in the 50 and 30 sec 15 and 30 second Instagram videos yeah. and TikTok videos. You got to go deeper and you got to go past the headline and actually read the library. And yeah. that's sort of my like, that's 20 years of my epic mistakes boiled into 30 seconds for the audience here because- when I've gotten over my shit, you know, which is like, who cares if someone thinks I'm stupid? You know, at right. the end, of the day, at the end like, of the day, who cares? Who cares? Like, okay, cool. You think I'm smart? Is that going to pay my rent this month? <laughs> or like, <laughs> you think I'm stupid? Is that going to pay my rent this month? Like, yeah. or, well, you think I'm stupid, but you know what? There's a lot of other people that are paying me because they think I'm smart. Like, right. And that ego shit, I think it just really kind of fucks, like gets us twisted. I'll be really frank. It does. Yeah. And it does. And that's the dumpster fire is that I think we're all chasing something right now and we feel like we got gypped, right? Whether it was, you know, COVID robbed my life or increased mortgage rates are, are robbing my ability to have my right. white cost of my cost house. of groceries is the reason my I'm where yeah. I am type of a thing. Yeah. But yeah, if you look at like the, the happiest people in the world, right? It's the people in Bhutan that, you know, again, there's books on books like blue zones and, you know, lots of really smart books. And it's like, People that have a sense of meaningful relationships and community and connection, those are the ones that are happiest. Not the people with yeah. the highest net worth, not the people with the Bugatti or all the fancy material things. It's like truly the people who have a sense of purpose and community in their life are the happiest. And I know that. And I've read those books and I say to myself, well, then why am I wasting all not my time and energy figuring out? Yeah. 
the next update for my Tesla. You know, it's like, <laughs> it, it's like, dude, just like focus on what matters, you know? And it's yeah. funny because I'm making fun of myself in, in the process and realizing, you know what, like the answers are there if we just start asking the questions. And, yeah. and that's where I think we can go from like dumpsters and dumpster fires to diapers and realize that they like, what is the purpose of a dumpster? It's to store trash. What is the purpose of a diaper? It's to catch shit. Um, and when we move past that, we can sort of like get rid of all the lure that's attached to it, which is like, it's a, di- it's a diaper. It needs to be changed. One day you won't need diapers anymore. Right. You know, like it's a dumpster and take out the trash. And one day hopefully we'll have some closed loop sustainable thing that can, you know, reduce the footprint of trash and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting place to start and, and kind of conclude. Right. Well, and I think going back to that, and again, I appreciate um, this conversation and just the vulnerability behind it, because I think that's where a lot of people are right now, um, myself included in that, where it's just really easy to be stuck in that cycle and um, asking those questions and taking, it's so hard sometimes to look in the mirror and to acknowledge some of that stuff and go, geez, what am I really doing? Like, why am I, let me actually ask why I'm actually really miserable with this is it maybe because i'm chasing something that really i'm never going to get there because really it's vapor anyway so once i get there and try and grab it it's going to it's going to blow away anyway and so part is part of my frustration i'm chasing after something that actually isn't going to satisfy once i get there and i think taking the time to do that even though it's much easier to just distract yourself with creating a new gpt and and standing up another business and throwing something else out. And maybe if I just keep myself distracted with social media and all these other things, then maybe I won't have to deal with it. But it's then it's just sitting in the back seat, lingering the whole time. And eventually it's coming for you. And I think that's where, if anything, now's the time to take that reflective look in the mirror and figure out, well, what are you going to do? Amen. Well, Pete, I have so appreciated this. And again, it was so fun backstage going, you just want to talk about this and see where it goes and hope that, you know, if anything, what was the goal of this to be vulnerable with people who listen and watch this, hopefully make people go, you know what? I can relate to that, but also encourage and inspire people to go, but yet, so do something about it. Take that next step, get creative and figure out what it is you're trying to do. Cause there is a path forward and you don't want to find yourself six feet from gold. I love that. Amen. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thanks everybody for watching, listening. I hope you get something out of it and uh, we will see you. Well, you won't see me next week. Well, you might, I might push one of my other episodes and hold I'm off for Thanksgiving. I'm taking a reset week next week. So uh, we will see you all later. Thanks again, Pete. And we'll see you on the other side.